So you brought your Bibles, go to 2 John. The long book of 2 John. We are getting very close to the end of our walk through the Bible series. Second John is 13 verses, and uh, Pastor Jeff, he'll take Third John next week, and it's 15 verses. So, um, so we are getting close. We're getting close to finishing up this series. But just to kind of as a reminder, because we did talk about First John uh, last week, John's first epistle was written to a group of believers who were in danger of following, of following false teachers. So John was very concerned about these, these uh, people that he was writing to, that they would, um, they would fall, uh, they were in danger of following these false teachers. In this letter, his second letter is addressed to the elect lady and her children. You'll see that here in just a minute. Uh, and they were undergoing similar temptations. John wastes no words in making his point. He says in verse 10, if anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching, you'll see that again, what that is here in a minute, uh, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Though John commends love as a necessary ingredient of the Christian life, it must not uh, sentimentally embrace those who, uh, who willfully seek to destroy the truth, which is what these false teachers do. And again, you'll see a lot of this as we talk over the next uh, several minutes. But... Uh, we, it talks about how are we to deal with those, uh, these false teachers uh, who try to infiltrate um, the church. But by doing so, by embracing those who seek to destroy the truth, uh, we diminish the proper love which Christians must have uh, for one another. Uh, this danger of the anti-Christian teaching taking hold among God's people is stressed in this letter of warning. And this is why John's warning is a stern, it's a stern warning and it's a warning for us as well. Um, helping us to see the danger and recognize the danger of what false teaching uh, can do to a people. And so he, he has this, this is why his stern warning, uh, he knows that this letter is not the best place to talk about that. He's going to come later on uh, and deal with it uh, in person. Uh, so this is what he's going to be talking about. So at the moment, the elect lady and her children, they were standing, they were walking in the truth, so they were doing well. But what John could see was he could see what was on the horizon. He could see what was coming, and he was preparing them and warning them for what would be coming. And so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this evening. He promises to deal more fully with the problem and the situation when he makes his personal visit. But with this letter being 13 verses, if you're there, we're going to read Second uh, John. Says the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, uh, not, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God, from the, from God and the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, uh, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch, yourself, watch yourselves so that you do, may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching uh, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part of his wicked takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much uh, to write you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And so this is the letter of Second John. So we're going to just kind of go through this. First of all, uh, the author, he calls himself, it's, it's the apostle John, but he calls himself the elder. He says the elder to the, um, that's, Third John, hang on a second here. Um, that's on the next page. Uh, the elder to the elect lady. So we have the elder, he's the author of this book. And it's to be understood that the recipients of second and third John knew who the author was. They would know who this was, they would know him well. Uh, because the thir- third John, it opens up the same way. The elder to the beloved Gaius. And so we have, this is how he refers to himself in these two uh, letters that he writes here. But they would know, know the author's identity, even though he didn't use his name. John here is describing himself and his position in one word, elder. So by this time, as we talked, I think last week we were talking about John, he was an older man uh, with authority over several congregations in Asia Minor. Uh, think about Revelation and the, the letters to the seven churches. These are probably the churches that, uh, that John uh, kind of pastored and shepherded and, and helped out. And so he has this pastoral role uh, here. So he's an older man with authority over several congregations in Asia Minor. Uh, he was also an eyewitness to the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked. He's the last living link to Jesus. All the other apostles had been killed. They've been martyred for their faith. And he was the last one living. Uh, he lived to be about 100 years old, roughly, you know, give or take. But uh, he, he was an old man at this point. But calling himself the elder stresses not so much his age, but rather his position of spiritual oversight for the church. He's an elder. He was a pastor. This is another term for pastor. And so he is speaking uh, with this God-ordained authority of a pastor to his flock. And by the way, uh, he was over this flock. He shepherded this flock, and he loved the flock. He loved these people dearly, and he cared deeply about them. And this is why this danger he sees coming that he can see on the horizon This is why he's so concerned about it, because he cares deeply uh, for these people. And so he calls himself here the elder, and it's really it's highlighting his position, that he was the shepherd of the flock, the pastor, uh, the spiritual um, protector of these people. And so he he calls himself that. The recipient is the elect lady and her children. It's kind of odd, the elder to the elect lady um, and her children. So opinions differ as to whether this letter was addressed to a specific woman and her children, or was it addressed uh, to the church? And depending on who you read, you're going to read different things. I read five different people on who the elect lady and her children were. And uh, when it all said and done, uh, it came down to three of them said it was a literal woman. Two of them said it was uh, the congregation. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. If you want to look into that later, you can. Um, but it doesn't matter because the bottom line is that it doesn't change the message. And so that, 
who the, the, whether, was it a real, was it a lady and her children or was it a congregation? Uh, doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. The message does not change and it does apply to us in our day. And so, but the elect lady, um, three of the, like I said, three of the five, I believed it was a literal woman. And which is interesting, uh, if, if that's the case, Second John is the only biblical book addressed uh, to a woman. Just a little trivia out there, a uh, little fact. But um, again, there's differing views, differing opinions, but the bottom line is it doesn't matter. Bottom line is it doesn't matter uh, because it doesn't change the message. So we're not going to spend a lot of time there. Um, the basic theme of this, of this brief letter is steadfastness in the practice and purity of the apostolic doctrine and, re, and the readers have that which the readers have heard from the beginning. Re, look in verse 6. It says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. So the commandment is love. The commandment is that we are to love. And again, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you are. And so, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this is the commandment. When we, when we know God and we love God, we are going to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. And so this is what he's talking about is, is uh, this practice and purity of, the, of, the, of living out this doctrine that the readers, they've heard it and they've known it from the beginning, but now they are, it's, they're uh, being commanded to live this out. And as are we. He wrote as a reminder to continue walking in the obedience to God's commandment to love one another. We looked at this last week in, in, in 1 John, was that this is an evidence that we know the Lord. One of the evidences that you know Christ is do you love the brethren? The brethren being our brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that we have this common bond to Jesus Christ, we've been forgiven, and so we love God, and, and we experience the love of God, and so therefore we love each other we love the brethren and so he's he's he's, uh he reminds them of god's command to be obedient to this command to love one another so we saw that obedience to god's commandments and the love for the brethren again it's evidence that we belong to god he also wrote this letter as a warning to not associate with or assist teachers who do not uh, who do not acknowledge the truth about jesus christ and so these teachers would come in, and they were denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They were denying that. And so we're going to look now at what were these false teachers, who were they, and what were they teaching. And it's interesting, in the first century, traveling apostles, Paul would be one of those, or traveling teachers or apostles, uh, as they would go through, um, they commonly secured lodging with fellow Christians as they passed through the town after town. For example, Lydia hosted Paul in Philippi. Paul and those who were traveling with him hosted them there, and they, and they stayed there, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with uh, Lydia and Philippi. And because these churches usually met in homes, hosting a traveling teacher often meant welcome, welcoming an individual into an assembly of believers. And so they would come, they'd be traveling town to town. Uh, again, Paul would go to these places, and he would establish churches. <clears throat> and then once they, had, they were kind of set up, uh, he would leave, and he'd go to the next town, and he'd find play. I guess uh, these people would do this, and they'd find lodging, and they'd stay with a fellow believer there, like in Lydia's case. And so this was kind of how they did things back um, in that time. 
These false teachers, however, they were journeying through Asia Minor as well, spreading the growing heresy that Christ did not come in the flesh, which is a big deal. If Jesus was not fully God and fully man, then he was not the perfect son of God who could pay the penalty of our sin. This is a huge point in our faith. And so they denied the deity of Jesus Christ, that he was not fully God, that he was not fully man, um, that he was something other uh, than that. And so they were traveling through Asia Minor, spreading this growing heresy, <clears throat> excuse me, that Christ did not come in the flesh. And John's instruction concerning him is clear. He says, if any, again, verses 10 and 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching of Christ, that he came in the flesh, the incarnation that he, uh, that he came and dwelt among us, um, from John 1.14, but if they did not... Excuse me. If they anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching of Christ, uh, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So if somebody was to come, this a false teacher, and they wanted to lodge with you or wanted to stay with you or wanted your help, John's saying, Don't help them. Don't help them. Uh, because they are they are uh, doing the work evil works, and so don't take part, <clears throat> excuse me, in that. Now, John did not tell this lady to hate or mistreat these false teachers. He didn't say you should treat, treat them like garbage, treat them like trash. But if they will not embrace Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, according to John 1.14, the believers must have no fellowship. And this fellowship, this commonality, this oneness, this union with them, he says you are to have no fellowship with them. <clears throat> you are to actually shun them because they will not embrace Jesus Christ and what scripture teaches about him. God's people must, um, must love his truth first and foremost, and out of that love will flow proper treatment of others. So uh, you can still love them, you can still care about them, you can still care about their soul, but it says don't greet them, <laughs> don't help them, don't assist them in spreading this heresy. He says, don't do that. <clears throat> You'll see a little bit again why, that, why, why he's saying that. But the apostles Peter and John, they both agree that hospitality is a Christian's duty and joy as well as an act of love. So we are to be hospitable to others. We are to be hospitable to one another and, help, and be uh, helpful <clears throat> toward one another. And it's an act of love. But according to 2 John, hospitality has its boundaries. And God's people must not welcome, accept, and associate with or support anything or anyone who undermines the truth of the gospel. Now let me just say this. What this does mean is it doesn't mean that you neglect and shun your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. Uh, We want to go to them. We want to reach them. We can associate with them because we want to share the gospel with them. He's talking here about teachers who know exactly what they're doing. And they're being deceitful and they're spreading heresy. Do you see the difference? Is that, yes, we care about the world. We want them to come to know the Lord. And so, and and we do work with these people. We live next door to these people. Uh, We do life with these people. But they don't know the Lord. And so we we love them and we care about them and we share the gospel with them. And we we want to be, uh, we want to encourage them and live that example before them. So we have to distinguish between the two. He's talking here about, these false teachers who are led, who are, who are 
intent on doing evil. And so I hope, I hope we can see the difference there. He's not talking about not trying to reach your neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. As a matter of fact, he's, we read through scripture says that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be doing that. So, but he's saying don't support anything or anyone who undermines the truth of the gospel. The common heresy that was uh, of that day, of the early, uh, I guess that would be late first century and, and into the uh, early second century, <clears throat> uh, was known as Gnosticism. And John was warning against all, all false teachings, but this was the one that they were facing in the first century. This is the dangerous one that he saw on the horizon. So he's warning them, saying, this is coming. This uh, Actually saying, this is here. This is here. You need to recognize it. You need to fight against it. But Gnosticism, it did not emerge as a full-blown religious, full-blown religious movement until the second century A.D., but its teachings were already present when John wrote at the end of the first century. Gnosticism, what it's speaking of, is a mystical religious system, <clears throat> excuse me, whose proponents teach that salvation comes from a secret special knowledge available only to an initiated few. Its adherents also believe that the flesh is evil, thus God would never take on human flesh. Consequently, they deny Jesus' humanity. Because the flesh is evil, so of course, Jesus would never take on flesh because it's evil. Of course, they use this saying, since the flesh is evil, I'm going to live a vile life because it's evil anyways. So they lived however they pleased is what this, did, is what this allowed them to do. They lived a vile life because the flesh was evil. And they said Christ could never take on human flesh uh, because the flesh is evil. The view that Jesus only appeared to, be, uh, appeared to be human but never actually assumed a physical body was known in the early centuries of Christianity as docetism. And so this was, uh, this was the, the primary thing that John was thinking about. This was the primary warning that he was warning them about. Was this, this, uh, this false doctrine that was taking over. And again, it became a full-blown religion in the second century. It was just kind of starting out at this point. But John saw what was coming. He saw it coming. And he, war- he was warning them um, about it. John calls these false teachers deceivers and the Antichrist. An Antichrist is any person actively working to attack the person and work of Christ by deceiving his people. Uh, the spirit of deception that qualifies false teachers to be labeled as Antichrist uh, because the same spirit at work in the end-time Antichrist is already at work in those who currently deceive others into denying the truth. And so he's not speaking of the end-time Antichrist, but he's saying anybody who has this spirit in them, this deceptive spirit in them, is Antichrist. He says these false teachers are Antichrist. Um, so, uh, so again, he's not referring to the Antichrist at the end of times, but to this Gnostic type of teachers who, had, who were deceptive, and what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. And this is why John says to have nothing to do with them. These people were not just uninformed or ignorant teachers who just didn't know better. Yeah, it's one of those things where if, you, if, if they were uh, you know, uninformed or ignorant, you could take them aside and you could talk to them and reason with them. Kind of like uh, last week we talked about uh, Priscilla and Aquila how they took Apollos aside and said, hey, let us explain this to you a little further. 
Um, you couldn't do that with these people. They weren't un- uninformed or ignorant teachers. The fact that they are deceitful means they know exactly what they're doing. They, they are out to intentionally destroy. they are false teachers. And so that's, this is what they were out. And there are false teachers in our day that are out to deceive and destroy the church. And we must fight against these teachings and fight to maintain the purity and sound doctrine of the church. And this is what, this is what John's encouraging them to do, is to recognize it and to fight against it. And so he saw this coming and he wanted to warn them about this. In regard to the warning given in verses 10 and 11, and I'll read that again, 2 John verses 10 and 11. It says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In regard to this warning given in verses 10 and 11, John Phillips, he says this, he says, To not let false teacher in their house means not even letting letting them get their foot in the door. And ultimately, this is what Satan wants to do. If there's a door, if there's a crack to get in, he wants to get his foot in the door. And this is what he's saying. Don't even let them in your house. Don't even let them get a foot um, in the door. He says the warning, basically the warning says this. John Phillips uh, says this. He says, let prudence take precedence over politeness. Is that we need to have discernment. And we need the Holy Spirit's help to discern. Because these, these false teachers, they, they sound, a lot of times, they're going to sound good. A lot of times they're going to say the same words that we know. Same words that would be common to you. But they mean totally different things. And we have to have the wisdom as spirit of discernment to, to recognize this. And that when they, if they try to infiltrate the church, we can't let that happen. So we have to practice prudence over just being like, oh, let's just accept them. Let's, it's, all, it's all fine. We want to be polite. We'd hate to ruffle feathers. No, we can't allow that to happen. And John's saying, don't let this happen. Um, he, he's warning them. It's coming. Be ready. We must use discernment. We must guard against false teachings. And Paul exhorts Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says this, keep close watch on yourself. And on your teaching, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. The version that you you have, that I know the New King James, I'm using the ESV, but the New King James says, watch your life and doctrine closely. And that is a that is we are to take heed to that as well. Watch our life and your and our doctrine closely. And we need to pay attention. Pay attention and see what's see what's uh, I mean, look around and see what's, the, what's going on in the culture. Look around and see what's going on in, in, in the Christian, Christian culture. There's a lot of things out there under the Christian name that are not Christian. Just go to, go to Mardell, and, and you're going to see some crazy stuff at Mardell. At the Christian bookstore that's not Christian, it's not doctrinally correct. Um, and so we have to, just because something is Christian in name doesn't mean that it is. And we have to have discernment to see the difference and know the difference. Paul exhorts Timothy, keep close watch on yourself and on your teaching. And like he says, persist in this. We need to be persistently watching our life, watching our doctrine. 
uh, he, he's telling him also, be persistent in getting in God's word. Be persistent in how you teach. Be persistent in what you're doing. He says, because you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So hold your place in 2 John and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. says, but understand this, that in the last days uh, there will come times of difficulty. Again, your version may say in the last days there will be perilous times, but days of difficulty are coming. It says, for people being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God or not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Avoid such people. Again, this is talking about those who, uh, again, part, partly what it's talking about is these false teachers. And it talks about, it's talking about people in general, but these false teachers, this would describe them. They have the appearance of godliness but denying its power. So these people may have this, there will be people uh, out there today, they may have this appearance of godliness, but they're denying its power. And what's above that, all those things, describes what they're really like. What they're really like, but they have this appearance. It says, avoid such people. Verse 6, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Basically saying they don't don't know the Lord. They don't know him. In verse 9, but they they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And then go to chapter 4, verse 3. Of Second Timothy. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from, the, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This describes our culture today. This describes our world today. You read what we, what we read in chapter 3 there, uh, describing these people. It says, understand, in the last days, it says there, there are going to be days and times of difficulty. There will be perilous times, depending on what your version says. It means the same thing. And it describes these people. And you read those. You read this list. You're going, yes, this describes our culture. This describes our world. And then you go over into chapter 4. It says, the time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having... Itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're gonna, they're, there are churches out there where people want to go to them to have their ears itched, make you feel good. It's just what you want to hear. Um, it's, they're not going to speak, the, they're not going to teach the truth, they're not going to teach the scripture. Oftentimes, scripture's not even opened in a lot of these places. And they said they will heap up for themselves these teachers. Because and, and things according to what just what they want to hear, their own passions. 
and there's false, and those are false teachers leading those those people astray. So how do we guard against and recognize false teachers? Well, if you're still there in Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three, verse fourteen. If I can find it. Oh, here we go. Yeah, verse 14. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed, and by God, uh, or all scripture is uh, breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. For training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what is the first thing we do to guard against false teaching? First thing and first we need to do is to continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. It says continue in this. Continue growing in this. Be, be in continually uh, in the scriptures and allow it to do its work in you. What is its work? Well, we read that in verse 16. It's all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof. Sometimes we need to be uh, reproved, uh, reproved, I should say. Sometimes it says for correction, we need to be corrected. And for training in righteousness, why? So that you could be equipped for every good work. So we continue in what what you've learned and what you firmly believed. Be continually in the scripture and allow it to do its work in you. So when we go and we read God's word, we have to... Ask God to work in our hearts, to speak to us, to show us, you know, and oftentimes show us things that uh, we really don't want to see about ourselves. Because there's things in us that are not honoring to the Lord, and we sometimes, and I know I do, sometimes we prefer just to brush that under the rug. But when we allow God's word to do its work, it will reveal those things to us. It will grow us. It will challenge us. It will make us more like him. So we allow the scripture to do uh, its work. So go back to 2 John. Or, yeah, 2 John. So the first thing, that's the first thing, is how we guard and recognize false teachers. First thing is that we need to continue in God's word. Be in the scripture continually and let it do its work in us. Let it grow us, challenge us, rebuke us. Um, and again, some of those are painful processes, but they're good for us. Um, but Second John, verses 4 through 6, says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask, ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one we have, we have, we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. And then go to verse 8. Verses 8 and 9 says, watch yourselves. It says, pay attention, watch, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So the key uh, to opposing false teachers, or oppose false teaching, is for God's people to abide in the teaching of Christ. We abide, we remain, we stay 
in the teaching of Christ. The truth that Jesus was fully divine, he's fully human. He was fully God, he was fully man. That he came to dwell among us. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what they were denying. This is what John's really speaking of. But we need to, uh, we need to abide in this teaching of Christ. The truth that Jesus is fully divine, fully human. All who teach something different should not be welcome in a Christian's home or church. In fact, they should be shunned. The church should be a place of grace, but it must never tolerate the undermining of, faith, of the faith. So again, we have to distinguish between the two. Not people you know who don't know Christ. It's talking about teachers who are intentionally deceiving who are intentionally infiltrating to lead people astray. And so we need to distinguish between those. The people it's talking about here, that's why it says they should never be welcome in a Christian's home or church. They should be shunned uh, because the church should be a place of grace. Grace, where we come and uh, and and all of us sin. We all all have passed. We've all done things that we regret. I mean, we're, we're broken people. And so we come together and we can love one another and encourage one another and, and we hear God's word proclaimed and, we, and we're equipped to go out into the world and to do what God's called us to do. Uh, these people it's talking about here have no intention of that. All, they have, they have in, uh, all their intentions are just to puff themselves up, to make much of them. A lot of it is to make money, things like that. So that's, this is why he's talking about this. Um, here is that we don't allow them we have to we have to protect the church we must recognize that uh, another thing here is we have to recognize that truth abides in the believer and will be with them and in them forever jesus is the truth so we walk in the truth we're walking in christ go to john 14 John 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, he's not only truthful, he doesn't just speak truth. It's, it's who he is. It says, I am the way, I am truth. I am the truth. Um, it, it, so he says, no one comes to the Father Except through me, if you go back to John chapter 8, go back a little bit, a couple chapters further there. John chapter 8, verses 29 through 36. It says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They, he's talking about the Pharisees and the Jews, they answered him, We are all offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say uh, you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever the son remains forever so if the son sets you free you will be free indeed and so if we know christ we know truth because again jesus is not just he's not only truthful 
It's not he only speaks truth. It says he is truth. It's part of his nature. He can't help but be true and be truthful because that's who he is. The phrase there that we read, the truth will set you free, does not refer to truth in general because you hear people say that all the t- a lot of times. But he's not referring to just this truth in general, but to truth, again, from John fourteen six, that Jesus is truth. In fact, Jesus clarifies this. He says, so if a son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This truth that Christ is both God and man, he's Lord and Savior, it's more than just a set of propositions. It's a living. It's living and it abides in us forever. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And so we have the truth living inside of us. And it will abide forever. So we have to recognize that the truth abides in the believer and will be with them, will abide in them forever. And Jesus is that truth. Back in 2 John, another way we guard against false teaching is in verse 4. It says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we, just as we were commanded by the Father. So all truth is found in Jesus Christ, so we walk in obedience to his commands. We walk in the step, we follow in the steps of Jesus. We are Christ-like. We are Christ followers. And so we walk in the truth. And he says, it, it pleased John to say some of your children were, children were walking in the truth. And we are to be people who walk in the truth. And so we walk in obedience to his commands. Verse 6 says this. It says, and this, is, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. So a genuine love for God is shown through obedience. When we understand that the great amount that we've been forgiven, that we, were, that we were sinners destined for hell, and we understand how much we were forgiven and how much God loves us and what he did for us, again, that's our motivation. We didn't love God. He loved us, and he, and he came to us in our mess, and he saved us. And so out of a genuine love for God is shown through obedience. That motivation is the love of God, that he loved us first. So therefore, I obey. Why wouldn't I want to? We read last week at First John that God, God's commands are not burdensome. Well, how can we say that God's commands are not burdensome? Well, first of all, they're for our good. Uh, when we do things God's way, life works. But second of all, they're not a burden because God loved us and he gave his son for us. Why wouldn't we want to obey him? Why wouldn't we want to walk with him? And so his commands are not burdensome. But this genuine love for God is shown through obedience. Love and obedience are a result of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer. Again, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but it does happen over time. It's that we grow and as, we, as we're in scripture, it changes us, it challenges us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it encourages us. It does all these things, and it's not just words on a page, it's living and it's active. And so it works, it does its work in us. But this genuine love for God is shown through our obedience, and we grow in that over time. The next, another way we can, we can protect and guard against this false teaching, we find in verse 9, of Second John. It says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father 
and the Son. So the last thing we do here is we abide in the teaching of Christ. We abide. We remain. The teaching of Christ refers to the teaching that Jesus, uh, Jesus was the Son of God who came in the flesh. John 1.14, I mentioned that a couple of times, but it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Those who hold, hold to this have true fellowship with both the Father and the Son. And again, 1 John, if you missed last week, 1 John's all about fellowship. Fellowship with God, fellowship with our brothers and sisters together. Um, and the, and the, how, what a great thing that is. But the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here simply because the Spirit was not an issue with these false teachers. Christ's identity was. Who is Christ? Was he just some good teacher? Was he a good man? Was he not real? Was he just a, a spirit? What, what was he? And so, no, he was fully God and fully man. Uh, but they, these false teachers were questioning the identity of Christ. And so John is making it clear. He's making it clear that he was fully God, he was fully man. We are to abide in this teaching. Abide in the Greek, the Greek word for abide, or the Greek word, uh, what it means, meno. It means to remain in something, equivalent to remaining steadfast, persevering in it. We are to continue, remain, and persevere in the truth about who Jesus is and the teaching of God's, God's word. It's that we continue in it. We persevere, we work through it, we spend time in it, uh, we dig in it, we, uh, we pray through it, that we're, when we're seeking to grow. So this idea of abiding, again, the definite, what it means is, is means to continue, to remain, to persevere in truth. Abiding in Christ is what will help us guard against and recognize false teachers. How will we recognize false teaching? We have to know God's word so well that we can recognize it. Because these false teachings, these false doctrines that are out there, again, those guys are good. They're good at what they do. They're deceptive. Satan is master deceiver. And so how how can we recognize it? How can we know? We have to know God's word so well that we can recognize counterfeit. So how are we going to know God's word that well? The the Holy Spirit working in us as we read and study God's word, uh, we we learn it and we know it. And so we can recognize those things that are false. Because, again, there's a lot of things out there where it's maybe 80% true. It sounds good, 80%, but that 20% is a deal breaker. And uh, a lot of times, um, some of these other uh, cults and religions... They're going to come, they're going to come knock on your door. They're going to use the same words that you use. They're going to say, yeah, we believe the Bible. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, we're, we're good with him. But they mean totally different things. And so we have to have discernment and use discernment to recognize this. Some current false teachers, I'm going to name a couple of them. If you were here last year, we watched the American Gospel on Sunday nights. We watched both uh, series. Um, and it was talking about some of these false doctrines that are out there in the American Christian culture. A um, couple of them, like there's one, a Jen Hatmaker, which she's a, a, a women's Bible teacher, a popular women's Bible teacher who has embraced homosexuality as an acceptable, holy lifestyle, saying, yeah, that's totally great. It's a, it's a holy way to live. She's not, but she's like, it's totally, it's totally good. And there's other things out there that she... Um, that she claims to be true, but it's, it's false. 
it's false. Um, there's a guy named Rob Bell. Some of you may, maybe you're familiar with some of these names, maybe you're not, but Rob Bell. He doesn't believe that hell's real. And uh, he teaches that eventually all roads lead to the same place because a loving God would never send a person to hell. So it's not a real place. And that in the end, God's just going to love everybody and bring them to heaven. Well, that's not what God's word teaches. It's not what God's word teaches. That we are saved by faith alone through Jesus Christ. Then we got Joel Steen. You've got you to have him in here. But he teaches health, wealth, the prosperity gospel. That if you just have enough faith, if you just have enough uh, faith, then, then think bad things will happen in your life. If bad things happen in your life, you just need to have more faith. You need this power of positive thinking. Just think it into existence. He's out, and so it's this health, wealth, prosperity gospel, which is, which is a lie of the enemy. Then you've got the guys like Kenneth Copeland, faith healer. Um, well, again, it's all deception. But they're known as the, the faith healer group. And there's, several, and there's other guys like him. Again, this is not a, a full list. But he's deceived thousands. And by the way, he's become rich doing so. If you're sick and you want to be healed, just send, send in money. If, you're, if, you, uh, if you just have enough faith or if you have enough money, then, it's, then that means that God's blessed you or God will bless you or whatever. But they're saying it's this idea. And what, what, what's he all about? It's about money. And he's become very wealthy doing this. And so there's, there's many different things of our, in our day out there. Um, Gnosticism, there's a form of that. This, this, it's a spirituality. It's this mystical thing that we have this special knowledge of revelation from God. Yeah, you hear about those things. Those things are out there. And we have to be able to see these things. And some of these things are just off the wall. You're going, yeah, that's clearly false. And you think about the Kenneth Copeland, you're like, yeah, that's clearly false. But there's some. There's some things out there that we need to know God's word so we can discern and that we don't get led astray, we don't get deceived by this false teaching. What John's talking about here is that we must fight and contend for the truth that is constantly under attack, and the truth is always under attack. By the way, Satan hates God, he hates the word of God, he hates the people of God, and he's always trying, he's always trying uh, to, to attack that. These deceivers are good at what they do. We must fight for purity in our lives, purity in our families, and purity of the church, and remaining steadfast in the word of God. John's message of walking in the truth, abiding in the truth, walking in obedience, and contending for the faith is just as true today, is just as true today as it was then. These people are having to contend for the faith. Fight for the truth, and we're gonna have and we are there. We need to be doing that in our home, in our church, in our families as well so um, because it is under attack and I'm going to close with a quote from, from John MacArthur and then we'll pray but he says in an age of relativism and skepticism the church must remain firmly anchored in the solid foundation of divine truth there's no place uh, for insipid shallow theologically contentless preaching for worship based on emotion devoid of truth, or for tolerating false teaching. There is no virtue in ignorance, no substitute for learning, loving, and guarding the truth. Only by doing so will the church be able to fulfill its divine calling to be the pillar and support 
of the truth. And that's found in 1 Timothy 3.15. But he says, Only by doing so will the church be able to fulfill its divine calling to be the pillar and support of the truth, shining the light of God's truth in a world of darkness. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for how it's alive, how it speaks to us, how it challenges us, how it changes us. God, I ask that you would help us to recognize and be able to discern false teachings that are out there. As, there, as the, Satan's the master deceiver. So God, I pray that you'd help us to know your word because we study it. That we would know your word so well that we can recognize the false. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us in here as we, that we would fight for purity, fight for the faith. God, in our family in our church, God, in our homes, and uh, God, that we would take a stand for what's right, that we take a stand for the truth. As it is constantly under attack and those attacks are going to become more and more, God, I ask that you would give us boldness and give us strength to stand for the truth and to fight and contend for the faith. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.